Okay, great. So welcome, everybody, to the first of um, many calls that we're going to have now every month. For people who, this call this week is the third Wednesday of the month, is for folks who kind of want to learn more about the NSP and how you can get involved. Um, <coughs> next Wednesday, um, I'm having another call for communities and individuals who have started to do work with the NSP and want to brainstorm and do some strategizing. I'll do some um, sharing of how to um, engage with people empathically, and it'll be a really um, engaged call where everyone will get to share and participate. Tonight's call is going to be more of me talking, <coughs> which is really unfortunate because of my cold, but it'll be more of me talking, and then you'll have an opportunity to share, ask questions or share things toward the end. Um, so my name is Kat Savas, and I'm the Executive Director of the Network of Spiritual Progressives. And I'm just going to briefly share a little bit about who I am, just so you have a sense of kind of who you're, who you're dealing with when you're dealing with me at the center um, here at the NSP. So I'm trained as uh, a lawyer, and also I have a master's degree in gender studies. I've done uh, many, many workshops and trainings in, I mean, led many workshops for thousands of people in empathic communication. Some people know it as nonviolent communication. Um, and in how to resolve conflicts in peaceful, creative ways. And I was a public defender for many years. And um, in my work as a public defender many years ago, I looked at how the, syst the problems in the system and how to address systemic changes um, so that I wasn't only dealing with one client at a time, but really trying to change systems in that process. Um, and then I went to work for a women's rights legal organization in which we did both class action legal suits, but we also did legislative advocacy, outreach and education, and systemic work on how to change systems that undermines women's rights in the legal system and in society as a whole. So that's a little bit about who I am. I've been with the NSP now for six months. <laughs> and in my work here, I've been trying to create some systems and processes um, to create structures so that I, so that we, me, and others here can support people who want to get involved, um, so that you're not alone out there and, and you feel like there's somebody out there who can help you and support you and brainstorm with you, and and to build community with others who want to build a spiritually progressive movement. So that's a little bit about me. Um, I want to share a little bit now about the um, Network of Spiritual Progressives. So I'll just give you an idea of where I'm going here. So I'm going to explain a little bit about the NSP, how to get involved, that, and, and kind of what our projects and proposals and programs are. <coughs> so that will take a little bit of time. And then I'll open it up to questions. Um, the call won't be longer than an hour, and the length of it will depend on questions and engagement. So, um, and again, I really am grateful for everyone's participation. It's really exciting to see so many folks on the call tonight. So thanks for being here. So the Network of Spiritual Progressives, what we're doing is we're building a spiritually progressive movement to address the crisis of the soul of our democracy, our country, and our world. So some people sometimes say, well, what if I'm not spiritual or what if I'm not religious? That's fine. You're welcome whether you're an atheist, a secular humanist, whether you're deeply in a deep religious or spiritual practice or not. What we mean by being spiritual is being grounded in uh, values and principles about the type of world we want. And we call this the new bottom line. So the new bottom line, you can read about it on our webpage, but I'll briefly describe it to you here. Um, 
currently the way um, organizations, systems, um, the way political, economic, and social institutions and organizations are measured or judged successful or productive or efficient are the extent to which they maximize money or power, money and power. And we're proposing a new way of measuring whether organizations, systems, um, socially, economically, and political are successful or efficient or productive. And we call that the new bottom line. And this is what it sounds like, that we want to measure the success of these um, systems based on the extent to which they maximize love and care, kindness and generosity, social and economic justice, environmental sustainability, the capacity to respond to each other as sacred beings. If that feels too religious or spiritual to you, then the language I like to use is the capacity to treat each other as um, with the dignity and respect to which we're all worthy of, regardless of what or how or whether we produce and how much we produce, how much money or power or any of that. So really just treating each other like when you hold an innocent baby, like you don't ask anything of them. They're just beautiful soul beings that we treat with respect. And so we want to create a world that, that goes back to that initial way of being and, and engaging in the world. And also um, how we respond to the universe in such a way, not so that it's about how much we can extract from it, what can nature give us to make our lives better, but to respond to it with all wonder and radical amazement. And I like to say that if we did that, if we really looked at the world with awe, wonder, radical amazement, the beautiful, amazing sun, the the fact that the earth spins every day, all of these amazing things about the universe, then we'd be much more likely to do the difficult, challenging, long-term work we need to do to change our world. So that is uh, what we mean, essentially, by spiritual. Another thing about the Network of Spiritual Progressives that I think makes us unique is that we ground our work in these spiritual values and principles and practices. And we do that for a couple reasons. One reason we do that is because we're on this path for the long run. And I, and I know that for me, in order to stay in this work and to keep doing work that seems in some ways unattainable at times, that I have to be grounded in spiritual practices to remind myself that I, I might, we might not achieve what we're hoping to achieve in our lifetime we're still committed to doing the work. We still have an obligation to do the work to try to create a world that's grounded in sanity, essentially, love and kindness and generosity. <coughs> and so um, this spiritual practices and spiritual principles help me and help others, I believe, um, stay connected like a grounding stick with those values. The other reason we ground our principles, our work in the principles of compassion and nonviolence and generosity is because if we want to create that world, if that's our end goal, then we want our means, the way by which we practice and work, to be grounded in those same values that we want to reach. So the means essentially look like the ends. So that's um, another thing that I think is unique about our work. Um, so how? <coughs> excuse me. So how is it that we imagine building this movement and transforming the world? Well, there's a couple of different ways that we imagine doing this. So one of the ways is through consciousness raising, and another way is through concrete proposals, projects, and actions. So most social change organizations are issue-based. They look at how are we going to deal with homelessness, fracking, 
um, racism, sexism, um, voting rights. How are we going to deal with issues? The list goes on and on and on, right? We could we could spend the entire hour listing all the different ways that people, all the different issues, and we wouldn't ever list them all. What we are trying to do is to work on the level of structure. What are the structural issues, the systemic issues that underlie these problems? And so we look at those and work to make our democracy actually work and function as a democracy. So if the proposals that I'm going to share with you tonight um, actually pass, then many of the issues that we're all working on in other social change um, work that we do would be addressed through the proposals that we have. And if they weren't addressed, they'd be much more easily transformed after our proposals passed. So I'll explain that in a few minutes. <coughs> so to do that, we need to do a lot of education and consciousness raising so that people understand the difference between issue-based social change work and structural, systemic social change work, and to understand why it's important to work on the level of transforming the structures of our society. So I can give you a, a, a really brief example of this. Some of you, many of you may be aware that plenty of states now, a handful of states anyway, have passed laws banning GMOs. And if you're following this, you'll know that these same states or municipalities <coughs> are being sued by the uh, corporations. Um, and the reason that they're being sued is because the cor power and corporate structures are set up in such a way that actually local governments don't have the systemic power to change the laws. And so we need to work on transforming the systemic powers so that um, when states or municipalities are passing things like you can't frack in our community or you can't... <coughs> bring GMOs into our community, that they actually have the structural underpinning to support that. And so I was just on a phone call with someone about this work in Maui, in Hawaii, and they passed a, a law that bans GMOs, and they're being sued, and they didn't, they didn't do the longer, harder work to create the systems that needed to be created to be successful, and they'll ultimately lose that lawsuit. And the problem and challenge with this is that so much energy, so much organizing energy and personal energy and effort <coughs> goes into changing, to passing these types of laws, and then they end up losing in the court system, and they think it's a court system problem only, and they get disillusioned <coughs> and depressed. And so they leave they essentially leave political activism altogether because they feel powerlessness. They feel powerless. And so we um, work and talk about and ask questions about who gets to make decisions affecting our lives and how can we challenge corporate power and governmental power um, that currently override the needs and wants of our ordinary citizens. And so there's different ways that we do our consciousness raising. One way is through Tacoon Magazine. If you're not, <coughs> I'm so sorry. If you're not familiar with Tacoon Magazine, I, I encourage you to check it out. You can find it at tacoon.org. <coughs> and um, Tacoon Magazine has many cutting-edge articles. The most recent issue is on debt forgiveness, on Jubilee, and, and there's lots of incredible articles um, grounded both in spiritual principles and, and in, in deep activism. 
about the issues around debt in our country and how to take back and change the systems and structures to transform the issue of debt in our country. And so Ticoon Magazine has a number of incredible articles, so I encourage you to check that out. And for those of you who aren't members of the Network of Spiritual Progressives, if you join at $50 a year, you actually get, among other things, you actually get Ticoon Magazine as part of um, your membership in the Network of Spiritual Progressives. The other thing that we do in terms of consciousness raising and education is we offer transformative activist trainings. And these trainings go into depth (coughs) to help people understand the structures, how they can work to change them, and importantly, why it is that people are so resistant to taking on this type of activist work. There's a number of psychological blocks and societal messages that we absorb that undermined our trust and our capacity to create meaningful change to build the world that we want. And so we're constantly told, be realistic. And we lose the vision of our idealism that most of us have at a very young age. And so we help people learn how to advocate for these structural changes and how to bring forth our proposals in a way that um, motivates and inspires people. So those are kind of some of the consciousness-raising ways that we try to engage because education and consciousness is one of the foundations of the work that we have to do. The other thing we have and offer is, in addition to this consciousness-raising and grounded in these spiritual principles, is that we actually have concrete proposals and strategies. And so I'm going to briefly explain each of those to you. And I want to tell you that Um, If you haven't looked yet at our starter guide, we have a starter guide that goes into a lot of detail about these um, different proposals and strategies, and you can access that (coughs) if you haven't seen it yet by going to our website on the upcoming events button. You push that button, and on that page, there is a... um, the newsletter, um, which I, which we call Revolution, um, and if you click on that and read the January newsletter, in the January newsletter there's a link. I will be uploading an easier link to the website, but I haven't got that worked out yet, but I will get that done this week, ideally. You can also email me at cat, that's with a C, C-A-T, at spiritualprogressives.org, and I'm happy to email that to you and anything else that I mentioned on the call today, if you want me to email it to you, just ask me. Email me, and I'll happily email it to you as well. Um, so the proposals that we have, the first one is called the Environmental and Social Responsibility Amendment to the United States Constitution, and that's on our website as well. And I'm just going to briefly explain the um, three components of it. The first component is getting all money out of politics so that money, um, all elections on state and federal level <coughs> would be publicly funded. There'd be no PAC money, no corporate money, and no individual money whatsoever. And we know that this is important because um, when the Congress just passed its uh, bill to keep the government running, in that bill they snuck in a clause allowing for increased donations, campaign donations from individuals. I think it was like an increase of like 500% or something ridiculous. So Congress is not going to do the difficult work of policing itself in terms of campaign finance, and so we need to do that. And so we put it in a constitutional amendment. 
Um, there's many other things in that first clause, and you can read it. I'm just going to give you the brief overview. So the second article in the amendment has to do with democratizing corporations and corporate structures and powers. And so the second section has to do, says that any corporation that earns $50 million or more a year has to get a new corporate charter every five years. And to obtain that corporate charter, they have to prove a satisfactory history of environmental and social ju justice to a panel of ordinary citizens who can hear testimony from people who are impacted by their produ products, by their distribution, by their advertising, by their disposal from throughout the world. <coughs> so here's the thing. Um, this simple yet complex and radical section, when passed, I'll say, would make so much of the work that we're doing in other social change organizations so much easier and almost obsolete. So challenging fracking, challenging coal, uh, challenging the private prisons, all of these things where, or, where corporations make $50, $50 million or more a year, challenging GMOs, would be addressed through this. So this is really transforming the structures. The third component of it has to do with education and says that any school that gets any federal funding at all from kindergarten on up through any graduate program, and by federal funding that means if the school gets federal grants for its students, it would apply to them. They have to teach environmental sustainability. They have to teach how to civically engage. <coughs> they have to teach nonviolent communication or empathic communication and nonviolent action and engagement. So um, the SRA is a very long document. It reads like legislation. And the reason we did that is because we know, as we've seen, that when we leave um, broad language to our courts to interpret. They never seem to interpret it in a way that's empowering for citizens. Instead, they interpret it in ways that empower corporations and government. <coughs> so that is why um, the SRA is written in such great detail. Um, so that's one concrete proposal we have. And if I didn't say it before, I just want to say it now, and if I did, then it's worth bears repeating, which is that our proposals are addressing structural changes and are quite visionary, and some might say unrealistic, and I'll address that later. The next um, concrete proposal that we have is the Global and Domestic Marshall Plan, and what that says is that 1% to 2% of the gross domestic product of the global north countries would, would be redistributed to the countries of the global south to once and for all alleviate eliminate, excuse me, hunger, homelessness, inadequate health care, inadequate education. And the, we have, I mean, we when this was written, we spoke with um, economists and stuff that can explain that this would actually address those issues, both, both um, within the United States and globally. And, um, and it says in it that the money wouldn't go to governments, but actually go to civic organizations on the ground that are working in communities to create structures and systems to take care of and address these issues. The third um, project we have is bringing the values of the new bottom line that I mentioned earlier into social change organizations that are already doing issue-based work. <coughs> 
And so social change organizations talk a lot about what isn't working, but what they don't put forward is a shared vision of the world that they want. And so the way I like to describe this, if you'll um, envision for me spokes of a wheel, and on the different spokes of vision, each spoke being a different social change-based issue, homelessness, hunger, fracking, prison to uh, school-to-prison pipeline, all these different issues. There's thousands of them. There's no hub and there's no outer rim. And so the wheel's not as be. And so what we're envisioning is that the hub of the wheel is this new bottom line, the language of the new bottom line. And the value of using this language is it'll cross over political divides um, and it also will connect all these different social change organizations at the root of what they all are really wanting but not talking about. Most of them are not using the language of love and generosity and treating people as sacred beings and treating the universe with awe and wonder and radical amazement. They're not using that language. And if they all start to use that language, then both they feel more connected with with one another and they'd reach out to each other more successfully and feel part of a larger movement. So what's the rim of the wheel? The rim of the wheel is an organization such as the Network of Spiritual Progressives and the proposals that we have, such as the ESRA and the Global Marshall Plan, that allows, brings connection and networking amongst these organizations. <coughs> so the idea is to bring help social change organizations articulate this new bottom line. And then the, the final thing that I'm going to mention tonight is to to work to bring the new bottom line into professions, workplaces, unions, and political parties. And all of this is discussed in a bit more detail in the starter guide that I mentioned before that you can get. And if there's more questions, I can answer them in a little bit. And also, we can always you can always email me, and I can, we can talk about it some more. But the idea is to get together with folks in your profession or in your workplace and start having a conversation about what would this workplace or this profession look like if instead of worrying about maximizing money and power, what we really focused on was how do we create a loving and kind work environment? And not only a work environment, but what would it mean for what we produce or how we do service? Um, if we're a service organization, a service profession. So um, that's briefly <coughs> the four different proposals. So now I just want to talk about, okay, how can you get involved and work on these issues with us? A really simple way is to try to start a local group or a local chapter. And again, the starter guide gives you lots of ideas for how to do that. If that's something you want to do, if there's not one in your community, and you let me know, I can help you by both sending an email to folks on our list in your vicinity saying, oh, Sue Smith wants to start a chapter or a group working on this. Please email her to... To, to connect with her, and I can also post it in our newsletter. Um, and then also in the starter guide, I give you a whole bunch of ideas for how you can reach out to people in your community. Um, if, if kind of starting a group sounds like a bit too much work, you can also just do things like gather, go to your neighbors and friends and people you know, gather signatures in support of the Environmental Social Responsibility Amendment to the U.S. Constitution. I have a a document that you, that I can send to you that basically is, explains what it is and has a place for signatures to be gathered, and then bringing it to your local city council, to your board of supervisors, to your 
to your community groups, to social change groups, to religious and spiritual centers and asking them to endorse it and asking people to show up at at any of these meetings where you're going to need support. And so you're not necessarily starting a group, but you're taking a small step of action, which might not be such a small step. You can write letters to your editor um, simply informing people about these ideas and these proposals. You just need to get together a handful of people to get started. And you need to educate yourself about these projects. There's a lot of questions people ask about the ESRA in particular. Um, And so it's good to do role plays and practice how you're going to answer those. And that's what happens on the fourth Wednesday of the month calls. We'll be doing some of that. So next week there will be conversations about, well, how do you answer questions about the ESRA? And how do you respond to people when they ask um, questions like, well, it's never going to happen or so those those types of things we'll talk about next week. So if you want to join the call next week, we'll be doing um, role plays. Um, another thing you could do is I know that on February 7th, there's marches around the country um, to protest the Keystone Pipeline. So you could gather together a group of people and set up a table with information about the ESRA um, because, of course, the ESRA would, would, if passed, would actually address corporate destruction of our planet in a really deep way. You can do teach-ins. You can have, again, you can have the sheet for people to sign to endorse it. You can hand out brochures. I can email you brochures that you can print out and distribute. And then after the event, you can write about it in your newsletter, in the newspaper, your local newspaper, to explain that Keystone, the Keystone Pipeline is one of many problems. I was just reading in the New York Times this week that there's two or three, at least, other pipelines that are happening that we're not we're not mobilizing around and then of course there's the um, trans-pacific proposal which is going to have dramatic impact on the environment and and create more power in the hands of corporations and government and less power in the hands of people and so you could write an article about how what we really need to do is address the structural problems and to join together to do that and so those are ways that you can um, get involved that that is um, right away and maybe not building a chapter immediately or a group, but just getting a few people together. Um, I want to take a a minute here now um, to talk about um, being realistic. A lot of the social change organizations work on issues and and take tactics that feel politically feasible or realistic. And the problem or the challenge with that is it doesn't always mean it's the smartest approach. And uh, it doesn't actually mean it's going to create the long-term change that we need and want. It just means it's politically expedient. And it might create some change. But we've done this now for decades, We've worked on things that are politically expedient, and we're facing a backlash against all the advances um, that we've made for the last 50 years. And the reason that's the case is because there's a systemic, there's systems and structures in place that ensure the continued power structure and dynamic that we're fighting against. So we continue to fight issue by issue without um, (coughs) addressing and challenging the underlying systems and structures that make it hard to be successful over the long term. And the only other thing I want to throw out here is that 
um, I was on, as I mentioned before, I was on a call earlier today with someone about this very issue, and he said something that um, was really interesting to me. And what he said was that organizing to do this type of work is different than organizing to do issue-based work. And, and part of the reason that's the case is because we're looking at long-term changes that take time. We're directly challenging and confronting structures and power systems. And, um, and so we're going to face setbacks, probably more than advances. Um, and so we have to, I believe, be grounded in deep spiritual practices and principles um, and just have a really deep core about the fact that we're in this for the long run um, and, and work from that foundation. And we also have to be aware of the fact that <coughs> when we're working on, on changing things and putting forth proposals that seem idealistic, that we're also bumping against, up against our own messages. Um, Rabbi Michael Lerner calls it the reality police. Um, the voices in our head that say, you can't do that, that's not, real, that's not realistic. Um, and so all of us have those messages because we receive them at a very young age. And so we bump up against those. And so we need to be consciously aware of the fact that we will be, we will be met by those voices, not only in ourselves, but by the people that we reach out to. And so um, we have to learn how to counter those voices and also educate people so they understand that that's what's happening for them. <coughs> so that's kind of the overview that I wanted to to give you all tonight. And what I'd like to do is um, I'd like to open it up for any questions um, or comments. And so what I'm going to invite you to do is... Um, is to push five star to let me know that you have a question or want to share something. And then I'll unmute you. I think I'm going to do it that way rather than unmuting everyone at once. And then at the end, in a little bit, I'll unmute everybody. But it's just so that the line remains um, quiet and we can adequately hear each other. So um, I believe that um, uh, David from Tampa, Florida, it's 813, area code 833. I'm going to unmute you now. So um, can you hear me? <laughs> yeah, good evening. Um, I enjoyed very much hearing what you said. I, I read the newsletter. I think we're exactly on the same page. Um, my concern has been the polarization of even groups that are working on significant issues in the community. <clears throat> I tried a few months ago to have a workshop on finding common ground. Uh -huh. I had like five facilitators. They all came and we had one attendee. And with time I realized that down here, at least here in Florida maybe, that the issue of making peace with those with opposite ideas just wasn't cool. Mm. <clears throat> so my question is, as you speak about finding the, the or sharing a common bottom line, I didn't hear you mention, maybe you had it in mind, the importance of finding common ground with those of opposite political views. Oh, I'm sorry, absolutely. <coughs> I would say that the language of the new bottom line is an effort to do that and often can do that. So I'm sorry if that wasn't clear. Absolutely yeah. trying to find shared values and common ground. And I don't know if you're familiar with Rabbi Michael Lerner's 
work. Oh, yes. I love, I love his work, yes. Wonderful. So the book, The Left-Handed God, for those of you who haven't read it, um, I encourage you to read it. And also the book Spirit Matters talks about this as well to some extent, but talks about how what we haven't done <coughs> successfully on the left, that the right has been very successful at, is we haven't talked to people's needs for meaning and purpose. And so the way the left usually talks is about people's economic entitlements and political rights. And so it seems bizarre that there's many people on the right who vote for for people and even um, sometimes um, policies that are contrary to their own economic interests. And that seems that seems to make no sense to us. But the reason is because the right, <coughs> unlike the left, talks about um, and addresses people's needs for community, for connection, for care, for kindness, um, and then they tell them how to vote, and they listen to that. So absolutely, it's really important for us to learn how to use that language. Another person that talks about this is George Lakoff, to learn how to use language that's going to build bridges across those divides. So thank you very much for that question. Yeah, thank you, Kat. <clears throat> thank you. Okay, I'm going to re-mute you for now, and if you have another question, uh, you can raise your hand again. So, um, Jack from upstate New York. I, oh, I haven't unmuted you. Okay, I unraised your hand, but I forgot to unmute you. You're now unmuted, Jack. <coughs> I'm sorry. Are you there? Uh, okay. Yes, I'm there. Go ahead. Uh, well, uh, this uh, this coming weekend, I'm going to... Uh, in Princeton University, and I've uh, been in touch with Michael Lerner, and I have in front of me the Global Marshall Plan oh, and uh, the National Security Strategy of Generosity and Care. And I, today I printed out a hundred. I had a hundred of these printed out. Oh, uh, thank you. Interfaith conference at Princeton. Can you hear me? Yeah, I'm. I'm so appreciating and celebrating this. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and so I guess the question I have, I, I have the opportunity according to the organizer, a, a, a conference of people from around the United States at this uh, conference. I guess the question I would have uh, for you and maybe any others is that uh, just the opposite kind of of David, I, I suspect, I, I may be wrong, but I suspect that there are going to be a lot of progressives at this particular conference in Princeton from what I have seen. Uh, but what I'm going to try to have is the Global Marshall Plan, and I'm wondering if there's any any sort of uh, way that I can pump them. Uh, I can speak from my heart, but uh, uh, and I have long experience uh, with uh, activism. But if you have any ideas to give me, I would humbly appreciate them. Um, <coughs> so um, I'm I'm thinking from my you know off my head you know off the top of my head right now, but um, I'd also invite you to email me and ask me this again so I can spend a little bit more time thinking about it before you go and, and send you any other ideas I have. But um, off the top of my head, <coughs> I'm so sorry, um, one thing that might inspire people, and you probably know this, is that it has been introduced into Congress by Representative Keith Ellison. Right. And so, yeah. so letting folks know that and inviting them to speak to their representatives to endorse it would give it more umph, if you will, you know. Um, Good. And 
I mean, the global Marshall Plan is beautiful because it's so, um, it would create such a dramatic change and it's so doable. You know, it's just, I mean, it's really doable if we had people who were visionary in our, in our political offices. Um, so I think if you speak from your heart and talk about, um, how it actually will transform the world and would, would solve the problems of, um, desperation, <laughs> I mean, part of why we're seeing so much violence in the world and people turning to um, what we seem, what we often label as kind of crazy fanaticism, um, but is really desperate people feeling really disempowered. And the more I, I read people's stories about why they join some of these movements, it, it, it's, it really is a sense of isolation and separation and disconnection and poverty and uh, inability to have their basic needs met. So, um, you know, the Global Marshall Plan offers a world of caring and generosity. If people actually felt that they lived in that world and felt that the U.S. was offering that world, there'd be a lot less desperation in the world. So I don't know if that's helpful. Um, I'll think some more about this, but email me so I have your email and so if I have more thoughts or if I have a chance to talk to Give me your email again. Did you say I, I'm, yeah. Kat, I'm not? I don't know you. So is your first name Cat? Cat. Uh, it, it's Cat. C A T, just like the animal. Okay. And so my email is my first name Cat at spiritualprogressives.org. Okay, I have it then. Right, I had that correct. Okay. Well, thanks, Cat. Yeah, I'll, I'll be. I'm already in communication with uh, with Mike Lerner and uh, and uh, you know. It's so I will report back to him, and I'll report back to you as well. I'll include you in on the message that's going to go to uh, Rabbi Lerner. Great, please do. And if it's okay with you, or I would, or if you're willing, I would invite you to write a little piece that I can include in our newsletter then for February. Sure, sure I can do that. Right. Fabulous. Thank you so much, Jack. Good luck with that. Thank you. Thank you. So, um, Kim. Um, with in Berkeley. Hi, Kat, and everyone else. And I thank you for um, being here. Kat, my yeah. question is, do you have any ideas about outreach to social change organizations if you're having, say, um, a convention or a colloquia and a request for papers or being on panels, and you want to have <coughs> engagement by the social change organizations? so that the profession connects with the organizations. How can we encourage them to come forward and participate with our um, professional uh-huh. annual Yeah, um, I, I think that's the work of relationship building. Okay. You know, um, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of looking at this too more broadly, and I think ultimately um, I think it's a hard, long journey of relationship building. Um, so that they feel um, that there's value in the connection, right, and in and in their participation. Um, so, I mean, that's one way, you know, and then obviously connecting with, you're in Berkeley, so connecting with some of the groups here and, um, at, you know, basically just engaging them and asking them to participate and helping them see that, um, they might reach newer audiences than they have in the past. 
and with that, it goes along with the keys, um, with the, was it fracking? The person <laughs> earlier today in about, um, and their pursuit through the legal system and how you sense that it may not be successful because of their strategy. So, like, uh-huh. how would we connect with the people there to find out what they did wrong so we can do things right in other states? Will you do a little article about that, or how can we communicate out lessons learned? Interesting. Um, yeah, let me write. I'm going to write myself a little note. Um, yeah, I mean, it's my hope that as we get, as more and more people are joining us in various ways, that on next Wednesday's call there will be some of the lessons learned discussed on that. And my idea is just like I asked Jack, would be to ask people to actually write it themselves. Um, but, yeah, I will definitely look into that. I don't know kind of when that will happen, and I totally invite you to email me and remind me because um, <laughs> it's just me. So I, I write these things down, and then um, sometimes it, um, I don't follow through as quickly as I'd like. So please follow up with me, Kim. Um, and... Um, in terms of um, the GMO efforts on Maui, my plan is to have um, somebody from the Center for Environmental uh, Legal, C-E-D-L-F, so Environmental Defense, Legal and Defense Fund, I believe is what it is, who worked with folks in Maui. I'm going to have them on one of our Wednesday calls, the fourth Wednesday of the month calls, to actually do that very thing to talk about the lessons learned and what what actually happened and how it happened and why and what needs to happen instead. So that is one of my intentions for those Wednesday calls. Great, Kat. Thank you. Okay. Thank you so much. <coughs> and um, Bridget from Houston, I believe, at 713. Good evening. Um, Good evening. I'm I'm thinking that in order to have the systemic structural change, there has to be, if not first, at least concurrently, a lot of personal transformation that, that goes along with it. Otherwise, people who are so used to doing issue-based work are just going to see, like, the Global Marshall Plan just being another kind of issue-based thing. Um, and I hear a lot or of... so unattainable that they'll never do it. <laughs> yeah, that's true, too. Um <laughs> But I, I, and I'm hearing in a lot of the language that you're using the nonviolent communication and empathic communication kind of, of um, language, and I think when people, as I have in my life, try to learn how to communicate more in that way, have learned that have gone through weekly um, practice groups with nonviolent communication and how it's changed my life. Um, if there's some kind of concurrent kind of work of that kind of thing going on with the, this large work um, of systemic. And <coughs> Great question. Thank you. Actually, um, yeah, so one of my intentions on the Wednesday calls is to actually incorporate some of that work into those calls, so the next Wednesday calls, the fourth Wednesdays of the month calls, um, so that I'll be doing some uh, teaching and training and practicing so that people can do that. I agree with you that there needs to be simultaneous personal growth transformation and overcoming um, um, the stories we've been told that you can't and you shouldn't and you're too idealistic and all those messages that all of us have received. Um, 
and that's part of also what we do in our transformative activist trainings. And I'll just briefly tell you that <coughs> in May, uh, Rabbi Lerner and I are going to be doing a telesummit through Shift Network. And if you're on our email list, you'll get information about this. If you're not and you want to be on our email list, um, you can go to the NSP website, spiritualprogressives.org, and sign up, or you can email me and I can add you. Um, but we're going to be doing a, a, a summit on spiritually engaged activism, and then we're going to be doing a course, online course, so that people don't have to travel on transformative activism, which incorporates a lot of what you're talking about, which is the personal transformation that goes along with the societal transformation we need to create. My One of the things I feel strongly about is that we wait, wait to do the social transformative work until enough of us have done the personal work for two reasons. One of us, we, the planet won't be around um, that long. And secondly, I don't believe, I believe that our personal transformation is tied to societal transformation. As long as there are people suffering on this planet, each of us are also suffering. And so they go hand in hand. So, yes, they, it's definitely part of what we're doing. Um, and I want and I want groups and chapters to be working on it simultaneous to, to the social transformation work. So some things that happened in some of the chapters in the past is they ended up becoming all personal transformation work. And I really want to push people um, to make sure we're engaging in both simultaneously. Well, I, I like that approach. Um, I agree with that approach, too. And so I'm thinking perhaps of introducing this larger work to the groups I know who are doing the personal transformation work and saying, hey, let's connect it up. So I, Beautiful. I mean, yeah. yeah, well, that's, I mean, if you want to do that in your community, that's beautiful. Yeah, that would be great. And if you have ideas to share with me, by all means, go ahead and email me. I'd love to hear them. Okay. okay. Thank you so much. And, uh, okay, I'm trying to unmute you. Dan and Joy in San Diego. Hello. Yep. Hi, this is Isaac in Montreal. Oh, I have the names wrong. Okay. Oh. Isaac, what's your what's your area code? Uh, it's four three eight. Okay, I had it wrong. Okay, got you. I got I got you too confused. Okay. <laughs> yes. Hi, Isaac. <laughs> well, your presentation is so important and such a clear description of what we're doing. Uh, with the Network of Spiritual Progressives. For myself, in 2006, I brought Michael Lerner to an event, and for me it changed everything. So I encourage you to bring Michael, Rabbi Michael Lerner and Kat to your communities, because what I realized was that not only is the new bottom line uh, uh, necessary, but it's doable, and part of the reason for that is the historic period we live in when you really have at least three intersecting areas right now where policies around uh, are are not working, critical policies. The war on terrorism approach to foreign policy is not working. The, uh, the growth capitalism is uh, beginning to show itself as not working in a major way, and also uh, what we're doing to the planet because of climate change. So all of these, uh, any one of these intersecting areas can help us as we reach, particularly those that we think are first reachable with uh, 
the new bottom line with policies of generosity. There are many in our local community, many leaders, many politicians uh, who we have contact with or could, who could be won over to these policies <coughs> because they make sense. They're not the policies uh, that we see around us now that really um, are not going to be workable policies, such as the war on terrorism approach to foreign policy. So now we have a moment in, in time when we could win over people, and part of what we need to do is learn the skills on how to, sh how to, how to build these relationships um, and bring these people uh, to us and how to train them to shift attitudes among the people in their peer group, among politicians. Relationships relationships, et cetera. Yeah. So it's a critical moment for that. Great. Thank you, Isaac, and thanks for all the great work you're doing up in Quebec. They could go to our our, our website. I'm going to be on the call next week as well. I recently started the Network of Spiritual Progressives Quebec chapter, and you could go there by going to spiritualprogressivesquebec.ca. And if you're um, in the northern states, not far from Quebec, in the U.S., please uh, contact us. I'd love to hear from you and develop a relationship. Great. Thank you so much, Isaac. Thank you. Um, so we're coming up on the end of the hour, and I want to honor everyone's time. Um, I'm not seeing any more questions. I'll unmute everybody in a moment, and if any, then we can all just say goodbye. But I want to end. I usually start with a, um, some type of a reading, but I, I jumped right in, so I'm going to end with one. Um, and it's, it's one of my, well, I have many favorite quotes, but this one is by Bernard Loomer, and it's called On Magnanimity. So I just invite you to close your eyes and, and take this in, uh, not only intellectually in your head, in your mind, but let it seep into your unconscious. Let it seep into your pores and cells. It's really beautiful. By size, I mean the stature of a person's soul, the range and depth of your love, your capacity for relationships. I mean the volume of life you can take into your being and still maintain your integrity and individuality. The intensity and variety of outlook you can entertain in the unity of your being without feeling defensive or insecure. I mean the strength of your spirit to encourage others to become freer in the development of their diversity and uniqueness. I mean the power to sustain more complex and enriching tensions. I mean the magnanimity of concern to provide conditions that enable others to increase in stature. So I want to thank everyone. Um, please feel free to email me if there's questions that come up for you. I'm just going to unmute in case. And then we can all just collectively say goodbye. I honor and appreciate each and every one of you. Thank you so much for taking an hour out of your evening tonight and joining me on this call. It was very inspiring to have so many folks on and so many wonderful questions. So thank you very much. Thank you. Goodbye, Thank you. Thank you. Goodbye, all. Love you much. Bye-bye. And you a big hug. Ciao.